Hello and welcome to the official eighth episode of Fiber Variety Hour. Today's episode is with Bridget Cavanaugh from Happy Goat Lucky You, uh, also Michigan Merinos, so you can find out more information about that on michiganmerinos.com and about Bridget's operation and everything she has to offer. Uh, this was a really, really great interview with Bridget. Kat and I have both known her for quite some time and uh, Kat's worked with her on some projects, so it was really nice to get to sit down and really have a nice chat with her. And then we actually got to see her a couple weeks after we spoke with her up at Tip of the Mitt Fiber Fair in Petoskey, Michigan. Um, but Bridget's just such a great resource in the community and is so free with her knowledge and um, expertise. And she talks a little bit about her mentor in the podcast and you can tell that that mentorship really meant a lot to her and really allowed her to have the confidence to really run with her farm and keep her animals and um you know she extends that knowledge to others and is now mentoring other people in fact i met someone just a few weeks ago who considers bridget their mentor uh just at a farm event i was at so you know, everything's kind of connected in this area and connects everywhere around the country even and around the world. And I think that um, just that slowing down and really appreciating knowledge and what you can gain from other people is just such an incredible thing. So um, I hope you guys enjoy our interview with Bridget. Uh, we sure enjoyed talking to her. Um, there's some parts of the podcast that were definitely visual, and we kept them in because there was some interesting information, but uh, there's some video content coming soon for patrons only, um, at least for now, that will be video uh, of that particular part of the podcast. Um, she's kind of talking about the history of the farm that she lives on and works, and um was actually able to kind of like show us some of the areas on the farm in the video so we'll, we'll have that out for our patrons we haven't been on the most regular of schedules recently um cat and i have been extremely busy which i think i said in our last intro but we uh really appreciate our patrons and we would not be able to continue to do this without them uh, if you would like to become a patron, you can visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash fibervarietyhour. That's R-E for the, the fiber. Um, we've got lots of different tiers, and they're very affordable, too, uh, and it is through. Hi, Bridget. It sounds like you're surrounded by lambs. I am. It's, off, it's awfully nice this time of year. It's kind of um, I call a uh, shearing day Christmas and this is, you know, like the Easter or Thanksgiving or whatever you want to say. It's just a huge celebration. This, you know, when lambs are coming, it just, it's just awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. And, yes. um, tell us about your farm. I mean, how big is it? Like, how did you, how, what made you decide Marino? What made you decide sheep? Like what happened? Well, I, um, as I grew up on the West side of Detroit in Redford Township and a city girl, but visited relatives as a kid. Um, my uncles had a dairy farm up in the thumb and we'd go to Missouri every summer. And um, my uncle in Missouri, aunt and uncle in Missouri had, they were um, crop farmers, but had horses. So I was nuts about 
all that stuff and just nuts about horses as a kid. And as soon as I went to college, I, my first job was as a riding instructor at Black River Farm and Ranch up in the thumb. That was a summer job. I was 18 and um, they let you take a horse home for a dollar in the fall and you pay for its room and board. <laughs> so wow. I did and I was starving, a starving college student with a horse that was very well fed. I, I shared the leasing with um, another friend that was a wrangler there or a riding instructor. And um, that just kind of turned me on to animals and care and everything like that. And then um, my next year in college, I went out west and for the summer and I was a wrangler. I'm gonna go in the backyard so we don't have the cars. I was a wrangler and um, up there, you know, you're out with the horses. It was a, these were dude ranches, and you end up with um, running past all of these shepherds from the Bosque region. They're they're all um, migrants from Spain, and oh, it's just awesome running in. And these were thousands and thousands of sheep in um, Montana, and um, just, I was still nuts about horses, got a farm when I graduated from college and got married and had the hobby farm with turkeys, ducks, chickens, horses. And, um, and then I adopted a bottle lamb and boy, that was, that was it. I was just nuts about sheep and I'm looking at something out in the field. Oh, it's a lamb. <laughs> um, <laughs> really are surrounded so so um, I was uh, a wrangler out west, fell in love with um, animals and taking care of them. And you know what, growing up in Redford Township, you still have, my dad was really cool. We still, we had a beautiful um, park at the end of the street where you could catch turtles and snakes and frogs and bring them home. My brother brought a crow home one year and he brought a big giant snapping turtle another year. And we always had rabbits and anything you could have that was small scale. So. Um, my dad was cool. He's the one that taught us how to take care of everything. And my mom was cool. Cause she just would like, she had 11 children and all their animals. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, she was pretty cool just because, you know, she put right. up with it. <laughs> and, um, so then the hobby farm and with the kids and everything, and we bought this place, this is the old Doby farm. And, um, we're on Doby Road and they settled in the 1830s and there's a natural lake here and we're at the high spot in Ingham County and the um, these two brothers Alexander and Hibbard came from Scotland and they settled here and this they had four generations of Dobies until um, we bought this place from the Dobies so oh. they didn't have kids yeah. Yeah, so this farm has had livestock on it for almost 160 years. Let's somebody do the math. 1830s to what? We're only closing in 200 years because it's almost 200 long. years. Yeah, and oh. this house, this house behind me, is the fourth one to be on this foundation. Um, really cool, old, old foundation, but they. Um, do you want to hear the history of the Dobies? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So they uh, settled here, had a log cabin, built a clapboard 
you know, white clapboard house around it. And then in the 1860s, they, they were booming and rocking and they were rich and they moved the clapboard house out back, which I'm going to turn the camera around and show you where the, there's a grove of locust trees that haven't come into um, leaf yet. And this grove of locust trees is where the clapboard house was. Let's see, turn. So you can kind of see the grove of trees that don't have leaves on them yet. And so that was the clap where the clapboard house was. And then they built this big giant brick Italianate, orange brick Italianate, you know, those square houses that you see. And they lived, and the next generation lived in that and it burned down in the um, like 1908. Well, we, this house is 1917. So the clapboard or the brick house burned down like two years before that. So wow. 1915 and, oh. Yeah, so um, let's see. So that's how I got started with the firm. And then in um, 2015, I took early retirement from the state. I was the bovine tuberculosis eradication coordinator. That's like, not possible at all. People hated me when oh. I walked into the room. <laughs> oh. And I was, I was supposed to be the diplomat that brought everybody to the table, which I did, but everybody had a different issue and a different um desire and nobody cared about the other person and it's kind of like politics today and um and i did it for um 15 years 2015 i did it for 15 years and then i had enough so i took early retirement i bought five years from the state because back then you could do that and so i was only 55 and I got a USDA grant from um, rural development and I went out west and bought the merinos and I had merinos here on the farm and really fell in love with it and I was it's funny because you have a, a lot of rare breeds and I do I have a blue face luster and some teeth water and I cross them with um, the merinos so I have a nice hand spinners flock but um I found, and I had Wensleydales, wonderful Wensleydales from Neil Kentner for many, many years. He was my mentor. And I just found that um, everybody likes to try the rare breeds, but they don't come back. They don't, they, they'll try it and then they move on to another rare breed and they move on to another rare breed. And it's like, you can't have all the rare breeds on your farm. But with Merino, everybody comes back. And um, there's my nephew. <laughs> He's waiting for his son to wake up. With Merino, everybody um, comes back and then I do the starter flocks and um, I'm selling flocks all over the country now. It's really awesome. Got a guy lined up from Missouri and um, another lady from uh, Frankie Muth is picking one up and then Pennsylvania, they're coming out this summer to look. Now, what does a starter flock entail? What does that mean? Five. So a starter flock is um, a U uh, or excuse me, a ram lamb and four ewes, or if you already have your own ram and you don't wanna deal with a ram, you can just get um, five ewes, a package of five ewes, and they're usually weanlings or yearlings. Um, and then I do sell, it's really hard to part with them, but I do sell um, bred ewes the, from Missouri because I have their babies on the farm. And so I'm willing to share their bloodlines and, um, they've been producing for me for four years. This will be their fifth fall um, when they're pregnant. And they, you know, they're really healthy. They're good moms. They, 
they take care of their babies. It's no trouble at all. I just feed at night and I come out in the morning and they're usually, they usually lamb around six or seven in the morning and they're all licked off and taken care of. It's wow. Great. <laughs> it's great. They're really good moms. So, um, Punctual yeah, so this, like. oh yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just perfect. These are good sheep. It's a good, um, time of year. Cause you know, I've made a lot of mistakes. That's the other thing. When I sell my starter flax, you get my um, advice and hopefully you won't make the same mistakes I made and I'm willing to share all that information because I, okay, I can admit I've made a lot of mistakes and one of them is lambing in the dead of winter. It's, it's stupid, <laughs> you know, December, January, February, you know, people do that because they want to have show animals. Well, these aren't show animals and there is no reason for you as a farmer to be out in the freezing cold, you know, trying to revive babies. Yeah, well, it's awesome. like unnecessary risk for the lambs too to be doing it in that time of year if you're not anticipating doing that. Right. If you're not showing um, for the meat production, which is, you know, you want to have a nice muscled animal by the time fair rolls around, then you would do it. And those, those folks have it down figured out. You know, they have little lambing boxes and heating lamps and, and they have cameras and monitors in their burns and they have people they hire <laughs> to go out there. So, um, I, you know, I'm not knocking it. It's not for me. That's all. It's just not for me at all. So I made that mistake and I really, I highly recommend lambing in April and May. My friend Carol is, uh, she just is finishing up lambing and she did all April, which I usually do. I do April usually, but this year I just got lazy and didn't put the rams out until the 15th of December. So actually the 1st of December, the 15th was the first mark on that, you know, I use those um, chalk mark, marking harnesses, yep. which, which are a joke, I'll tell you that too, because it's like, oh, you go out with your pen and paper and you see a mark on her rear end and you look at the date and you calculate and well, it took a while for the chalk to start rubbing off. So the Ram and the girls were having a party a week before <laughs> and I had no idea, so there's another lesson, scrape the crayon <laughs> before you put it on them. <laughs> so they're still a little bit earlier than I expected. So yeah, but it's fun. Oh, it's just awesome. And these babies are so awesome. And these mamas, they're giving me twins because they're good at it. And, you know, usually it's one single, um, the first lamb that first year, and then after it's twins. One gal gave me um, triplets. And she, she uh, started going into labor and her sister laid down next to her and went into labor and there were four lambs on the ground and the sister had one and, and um, number 55 had the other three. Well, they just all got up and started, you know, licking everybody off. So the, my, the sisters are taking care of four babies. I don't think they know who, who belongs to whom. <laughs> yeah, it's really sweet. But that's how you want it. This is Fluffy. He's our he's our wool shop kitty. Fluffy was one of those um, trap, neuter, and release, so you can see that his ear was clipped. Mm -hmm. And that's because they expect these cats to be so wild that you can't catch them, and you look at them from afar, and you know that they've been neutered because their ears clipped. Well, he doesn't. He's not wild. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> So that's the story. So here we are selling starter flocks and online wool. And then of course, 
um, big, big batches of wool to um, yarn companies that make their own. So, which we really appreciate. I wonder who does that. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm, I'm so excited to be working on that project. And I'm just, there's some really cool things happening with it already. So, and the yarn. Oh my goodness, the yarn. I kind of want amazing. Yes, I know. Full disclosure, um, a cat got a hundred pounds last year and this year of Bridget's merino, and it's being spun. The second batch is being spun up at Stonehenge Fiber Mill in a sport weight yarn, and it is just so springy and soft. It is, yeah. It, and I have to give General Pallet out of Missouri the credit. Andy and Desiree McMurray are awesome farmers themselves. They have a huge farm. I think they have a a thousand sheep. At least it looks like it when you watch them out in the field. It's like, holy smokes. You know, you think about a starter flock and then you think about a thousand sheep and I'm like, (laughs) I I wonder if that's what would happen is that I'd be like, oh, but just one more. And my husband is very, very sweet and says, I don't want to be a shepherd and you're going to leave again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a challenge that a lot of people face that do own animals is how can you go to shows? You know, I know that I see you a lot at shows, Bridget. How do you manage to balance all of that with your products and your flock? I have been really fortunate the last four, this is going into the fifth year, um, finding college students that um, want to work and one gal um, Mimi was awesome she did my website and my logo and everything like that she stayed at the farm and lived at the farm for two years and it I went to Europe when Mimi was here it was just awesome and then um, Kristen came and Kristen was the daughter of missionaries and her work ethic was just something to envy I mean this girl was amazing always here on time stayed as long as the until the job was done and was able to you know she took care of animals when I traveled and um, now I have Russell and Russell is um, just learning he's just started like two weeks ago and he's just awesome too so I highly recommend you know giving up a little bit of your um, control because it is it's giving up control you have to trust um, but I highly recommend it because you can, there are people out there that want to do it. Russell's, um, Russell came to the farm with his mom, who is a friend of mine, and they called it a staycation. So she babysat or animal sat for me while I went to a wedding and um, Russell liked it enough that he said, yes, he'll work here. So that's amazing because that just, yeah. it just nurtures it in. Exactly. And I, you know, um, I have a feeling Kristen's going to be a farmer. Mimi loves the animals, but she really is into knitting and yarn. She's just a master knitter. And we'll see about Russell. We'll see what he likes and decides to do with animals or not. But he is a sawyer. He's a, uh, he, he did firefighting out West, a sawyer. I didn't realize it is a licensed person who can cut down trees. (laughs) like Diane Sawyer is all I thought (laughs) but anyway that's such a rare opportunity I think for people though you know you talked earlier about helping the people that you sell a starter flock to 
with some advice, but you're actually providing that experience, that hands-on experience for these people that's also helping you in that. It's so true. And you know what? I don't know if it's just the sheep world because, you know, I had horses and lots of friends with horses and everything, but in the sheep world, people mentor and they're glad to, they um, really share what they know and share their knowledge. And, and it's, um, it's so important because you want people to be comfortable with what is going on. So, I mean, like Neil Kentner, that man, I really miss him. I feel, sometimes I feel like he's on my shoulder. He, um, he's the person that would get up at three in the morning when you're crying because you have a dead lamb or you think it's dead and he shows up and he gets a tube and he teaches you how to tube them and give them warm milk and revive this little lamb that is eventually named Neil. And um, so, you know, and you don't have to do that very often, but when I had to do it last year, might've been two years ago, I can't remember, but I had a lamb that was born in the middle of the winter and it was not moving. And instead of just assuming that it was dead, I thought I'm going to give it a try. And I, um, and that's the thing is Neil was, I, he was on my shoulder. He was coaching me and it's like, I did it. Yay. And this baby just eventually woke up, eventually became a living being. That is so wild. Yeah, yeah. And it's just because he, he did that for me. I mean, I think about that. I can't believe I asked for help at three in the morning, first of all. <laughs> like I can't believe that he, Yeah, and he didn't blink. You know, he got, got in his car and drove. It's 10 minutes away. I was 10 minutes away and just an amazing guy. So the sheep, the sheep world misses him. <laughs> we all do. I mean, now I'm getting in the shade because this is, the sun is awesome, but. I think that's a fair point though too to make that, you know, it's not a just during the day commitment you're making. It can be any time of the day. And that's probably why he was so willing to just jump in the car. And, you know, that's such a. Yeah, he's probably, exactly. He's probably awake because of his lambs too. Um, right. But it's true. And, you know, we, um, it's funny. I put on Facebook the other day, a picture of the pipeline we're putting in, you know, most of us just put pictures of cute little babies, cute little lambs and beautiful roving and lovely yarn. And we don't show the things that are the background. Um, but this, this pipeline, holy smokes, <laughs> it's 750 feet, which I thought was a lot until I went on YouTube and started looking at what other people were doing and out west they put in you know like 3,000 feet so 750 feet is nothing to them but it was to me it was a nightmare in the sense that it's kind of like a black wall I didn't know I couldn't picture or envision the finished product and I didn't understand the language you know and all the plumbing and the engineering and I didn't understand <laughs> And I got bids for it and the bids were ridiculous, like $24,000. And it's like, you're kidding. No, 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 no. So then you, you start talking to people who you know, your neighbors, your friends, your relatives, and then everybody steps in. And we did it for 7,000 <laughs> instead of 24. Wow. But it was one of those, it took two weeks and I didn't sleep very well because I was afraid. I was really afraid it wasn't gonna work. He had a bar but, Pardon me? A barn raising. Exactly. That's what it was like. It's exactly what it was like. And, and somebody would step in and go, oh, no, no, you do it this way. And somebody else would 
say, well, you brought the wrong materials. Let's go back and get this. And I swear Menards knows me now. They, they all know me by name. It's like, oh, there she is. <laughs> and I have a lot of stuff to return because, you know, you, you just buy the wrong thing and back and forth, back and forth. Oh, it was a nightmare, but it's, it's done. So it's how done. does it work? So what I did is we had a well here and a well to the barn and electricity to, to the barn. But I have um, 35 acres and out in the middle of this pasture, 13 acre pasture, there was no water and I want to split it up so that I can do rotational grazing. And um, in order to split, you've got to have water that so they don't right now everybody I leave the gates open and everybody runs back in and gets water at the barn. So we have these pathways that are worn by the sheep and you could literally walk barefoot at night and know exactly where you were going because the ground is still warm from where they were walking but um so the the concept or the idea is to get the water out there so we put a new um hydrant in and then we dug 200 feet and put another hydrant in and then another um 550 feet for the final hydrant. And then that area is gonna have a high use um, area, which is where they can all, they can gather around there and drink the water and not um, create a mud pit. So you put geotextiles down and, and a layer of six, six inches of this M19 rock, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, I had no idea of this list. It's like, I don't know. Well, like, those wait. geothermal textiles, of course. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, what the heck? Well, you know what is amazing is Google will tell you anything now. And you Google and YouTube and boyfriends. <laughs> so my boyfriend, Rodney, I was crying. He walked in the kitchen one day and I was reading all this stuff. And it's this, you know, really thick engineering plan. And I just looked at him and I started crying. And I said, I, I don't even know what this is. This is like a foreign language, you know, it's a foreign language. So he stepped in and went, took, to, took me to Menards and he didn't know either, but he knew how to ask questions at Menards. <laughs> so we got it done. Yeah. You said something about sharing the photo of that and that people don't share what's going on. I really appreciate that. Um, and I, I think a lot of people think things are just glamorous and you're right. Like it's just the cute sheep. And I think there's a lot of that in all aspects of the fiber world, you know, when you, cause I, I like the other day I shared a picture of my fleece getting washed, you know, and I was like, you know, most people are only showing you the pristine white without a bunch of, you know, without any vegetable matter in sight, you know, it's like, that's so unrealistic and it's hard work. It all it is, is. So, such hard work. And it's so interesting because, you know, we're all on these fiber groups and you get people who complain when there's um, straw or hay or any veggie matter in the fleece. Um, and, you know, if you want to pay for something to be coated and left in a barn all winter long so that it doesn't get anything on it, then um, and all of the work that goes with keeping an animal in the barn, like cleaning up behind them, you can pay extra for that. But if you're going to buy from me, you're getting, a, I won't charge you extra for the veggie matter. 
<laughs> you know, it's, and that means my animals have been outside and they have been climbing up rose bushes and pulling down, that's the goats I'm describing right now, pulling down branches so that they can get to the very most tender and nibbly stuff. And, and they've been exploring. And when the animals explore, they pick up all kinds of stuff and it's in their fleece. And we try, you know, I, um, I'll lay out a, a fleece after it's been shorn and I'll clear it, you know, um, skirt it, but it's not gonna be perfect, but that's what machines are for. That's what, I mean, if you're hand doing everything by hand, um, you're gonna be able to see it and pick it out. Well, these awesome mills know how to get it out real easily. So oh, that's yeah. what those machines are for. Yeah. Well, and you yeah. get some lanolin out of the merino anyway, and it takes a lot of it with it because there's so much grease. It's Yes. Yep. And you know what's amazing about that lanolin? You know, um, they use lanolin in um, hand cream to for healing. And you know, it feels good and blah, blah, blah. Well, let me tell you, when these Merino are shorn in the spring, they're very wrinkly and um, shearers have a difficult time anticipating the wrinkle. And so sometimes they get a gouge. And the first year that I saw this happen, I was so mad and so upset. And <laughs> my darling shearer said, oh, relax, Bridget, they get over it in a day. And he was right. And it's because of the lanolin. So the lanolin literally is, has such healing properties that not only does the bleeding stop it with, you know, within 20 minutes, the bleeding stops. It's like getting your haircut and you get in, you nick your ear or something, the bleeding stops, but it's completely healed over. And um, it doesn't even scab because of the lanolin. I believe it's why it's not scabbing, but it just heals, totally heals. It's just beautiful. It's a really wonderful miracle component. You know, it's really That's amazing. So That's yeah. so cool. I just, I didn't know. I mean, I knew that it had a lot of lanolin in that they produced a lot of lanolin, but that makes so much sense because it would really seal it over and keep it from getting infected too. So exactly. it's really self-managing any kind of rosebush incidents or clipper incidents. Exactly. And you know, it's funny because of course it's um, a water repellent as well. So the, it's, these sheep are, you know, they're carrying their house on their back and my animals, I have 50 ewes and they have access to the barn in the winter, free, free access, come and go. 75% mm, of them choose not to come into the barn at all. They just hang out in the, um, you know, snow and you can literally go out, out with a flashlight. If the, you know, I have guardian dogs, if they're barking and making a fuss, I'll go out and see what's going on. And in the snow, you could literally just have humps of white snow, you know, they're underneath the snow and then you can walk through them with a flashlight and they, they feel you or see you walking by and they'll just crack a little bit. So there's a little crack of snow and, and it's like a little igloo. So they, they're fine, absolutely fine. But they, they um, that, you know, lanolin is also a repellent, a water repellent. So not and dry. They, they do get wet though. I mean, if you're, if you're out there in the rain and you, they brush up against you, you're getting soaked, you know, their, their pants are going to soak you. So I don't know. Um, there's something about, let's see, what is the thing that wool can absorb? Is it like a certain weight or something? Yeah. Like twice that? its weight and still the animal stays dry or you as the wearer of the sweater. Speaking of which, do you like my sweater? It's hand spun. 
and hand knit. It's so pretty. It's from Edie Bowles. Of course, you know how farmers, we, I grow all of my own wool and, and then I have to buy everybody else's. So this was Edie's um, beautiful Spartan colors of, um, and she's got a Romney mohair mix. Yeah, and I love her blends. I use them with my students all the time. Yeah, just beautiful. That's Spinning Moon Farm, if anybody wants to look up Edie Bowles. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so you can be wearing your sweater and it keeps you, it can be soaking wet and heavy as I'll get out, but you take it off and you're dry underneath. Pretty darn amazing. What kind of guardian dogs do you have? These are two, um, they're simple, well, let's see. They're out of the same parents, different litters. So I think that would make them siblings or cousins. I'm not sure, but anyway, um, Anatolian Shepherd and Great Pyrenees crossed, and then the Papa is a Kirikachan bear dog. And I got them because we have coyotes that come on the farm and um, are very bold. We also have fox, but I don't think the foxes are, they're not that bold, but the coyotes are. And I got them um, for protection, but it turns out that they have a tendency, Great Pyrenees especially, to decide that their territory is 10 square miles. So I don't have a fence that'll keep them in. I, I keep them in a kennel, a big kennel, but it's got, you know, like eight foot fencing. And then the sheep just all bed down around them, uh, outside of them. And I've never had trouble with coyotes. Um, they come in and just bed down around the dogs. But if I let the dogs in the sheep pasture, they're gone. And my neighbors don't appreciate it. They, they, they're big. These are the big dogs. So, so we worked it out. It, it works out just fine. And they get to wander through the pasture on a leash with me so they can leave their markings, but not take off because they fly, they fly. That is wild. Yeah. I, I haven't seen that kind of a cross before. I have seen some guardian dogs. There was a, a Turkish cattle dog that lives across the street and just the, the bark, the bark is a very distinct thing, but also just seeing them with the animals, it's kind of wild because it's like they're bigger than a lot of the animals. Yes, yes. And these two, even though they're same breeding, they look very different. One looks more like a Samoyed, you know, big, big uh, white dog. Mm -hmm. And the other is more of a Great Pyrenees look, you know, and the difference is about 40 pounds in, in size. So... The actually ruffian is her name. I think Karakachan bear dog is probably what she looks like more than uh, uh, Samoyed, but if you, most people know what a Samoyed looks like, so that's what I say. So yeah, so um, let's see what else is there to tell you about the farm. What about the goats? Oh, the goats. They're so naughty. <laughs> I used to have a zillion goats and I finally got to the point where I had to um, find a home for them because they were escape artists and you know how we talked about you like to travel well I you can't travel when you have goats a lot of them because they always leave the premises and then uh you have somebody calling you and you're in Florida and, and they have 60 goats following them down the road <laughs> so yeah it doesn't work so anyway um I have four and they're kind of the mascot of the farm now instead of being the main production 
And that works out great because then I just do a dab of mohair in my product. So I have a lot of roving from my from my spinner's flock that is the mixture of the blue face luster and the cheese water and then mohair. And once in a while, I'll throw in um, some merino roving. I'll have merino roving. Like I have some top. Is that top behind you, by the way? It looks like it. Yeah. It's the cotton. <laughs> oh, it's a cotton. I was Ooh. saying earlier. Yeah, it's, a, it's some cotton slifer. But, Beautiful. Yeah. yeah, it looks like green cotton. cotton. That's really nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, so, um, and cotton, we all want cotton for the summer anyway. Yeah, speaking I, I, I was actually yeah. going to ask you about that because I have a blend from you that is some of your wool and some cotton, I think, from a relative. Yes, you still have it. Go I have a little bit of it. A little bit. Okay. <laughs> um, yes, she sent me 600, 165 pounds of cotton so in Missouri they do huge giant you know bales of for the cotton and this is um it's called upland I guess upland cotton I want to say upland game cotton but that's game birds upland game birds anyway it's not the long fiber Egyptian cotton it's a short fiber that is used for blue jeans blue jean material and um my uh, relatives that I was growing up and visiting all the time, um, that firm is, is, was growing cotton at that time. I don't know what every, I think they rotate like everybody does. But anyway, the bales were um, 600 pound bales, gigantic. And at the end of the run, he just had 165 left. And so my Aunt Barbara said, hey, can I have that? And he said, yes. And so she, had it in her driveway and it if you can picture the size of a like a Volkswagen <laughs> it was it's like half of a Volkswagen it was a huge giant bale and you'd think 165 okay that's a person but it was packaged really it was huge and um and then it cost it cost quite a bit to have it shipped to me it cost like 300 and something dollars to have it shipped so it wasn't free, but it was still worth it because it was really beautiful. And so I had a lot of roving um, made up with it and that sells all the time. I still have a little cotton. I might do that again this year, but um, a whole bunch of roving. And then Zeilinger's um, Dodie, before she retired, that doll was willing to mess with the cotton and it created, they said they didn't ever want to do it again. <laughs> And then they did it one more year. So two years in a row, I did cotton and um, just a blend of everything that was on the farm. And I think then I had uh, some Merino and the Romney and some um, Wensleydale. So I threw all the wool I had and then matched it with cotton. And we had this amazing yarn. It was really beautiful. Then I think I did Merino and, and uh, cotton too. But um, that was fun. And it, it sold really well and it was just, you know, a, a blip, just a little bit of, oh, we'll try this. And that's the beautiful thing about these mills. All of them are willing to try something fun. Because our conversation with April had us realizing how much they actually seem to enjoy the challenge of trying something different. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And Dodie was really cute. She ran the yarn machine and she was willing to try stuff. The cotton, because it was short fiber, it left a lot of, of dust, I think, in the air, cotton dust. And so, um, you know, 
they were they were cool about it and didn't get mad at me but then said no we don't want to do that anymore <laughs> and I haven't talked to John in April since but um, yeah that was I guess like 10 years ago well April, 10 years ago that we did. April came in what five six years ago oh gosh then maybe my cotton my, my cotton mix might be even older yeah, and she's she's like real curious. It was really fun to talk to her, and she's like, "Oh, trying new things." Because I've talked to her about a couple ideas, and she was like, "What about this?" And it's just so fun to see that interaction back and forth. Yeah, yep. And I love that the fact that they've been around forever, and you know, we all know them. You walk in the door, it's like seeing family. April last year during COVID, she was willing to just come to the farm, and so. I had a couple friends bring over their fleeces. And so she hauled back maybe just like 80 or 90 pounds. It wasn't a lot, but it was just a day out, a day out in the, you know, driving, just getting away with her son. She brought her son. So it was nice, really sweet. That yeah. is awesome. And was that some that your hats came from? No, my hat. Oh, yes, it is. Actually, no, my hats, um, when I drop off, let's see. In, in April, I get the shearing done in March. And then in April, my big batch of wool goes to Zeilinger's and then another batch goes to Stonehenge. So yes, Zeilinger's does the hats and the mittens. This year, my truck is still sitting there waiting. It's literally packed and everybody wants to ground my truck. And I said, can't because it's full of wool. I got to get it over to Zeilinger's, but I haven't gotten yet. So what is it, May? I'm a month behind. So I probably won't even get my hats by Christmas time. But that's, that's a perfect okay. excuse to not lend out your truck, though. <laughs> it's so true. So are you planning on doing any shows this year, or have you kind of taken this year off just because of the pandemic? Um, no, thank you for asking. I am going to. Um, I'm vaccinated and ready to roll. We just did a family gathering, a wedding, and that was so wonderful, just being around people again. Oh, just, that. You can't imagine. I mean, we all know. We all can imagine how it's been because we know how it's been. So yeah, I'm doing tip of the net in June. Yay! So are we. <laughs> Yay! Good. We'll see you there. I hope we're next yeah. to each other like we have been. And then um, I am going to be uh, doing, um, of course, the Fiber Festival. As long as everything is okay and we're not canceled, they just. Um, but the Fiber Festival in August, I'll be there. And um, I'm hoping, I'll, I, I always do the Detroit Eastern Market mm. and I do the Meridian Township um, Wednesday Market here in town, which is kind of nice. And this is all starting in September, October. And then uh, we gear up and I don't know if the um, train is gonna be running this year, but I, two years ago, I, it was awesome. I did the, um, I want to call it the snow train, but it's the Polar Express movie. And this is called the North Pole Express is the name of the train. But it goes from Owasso, Michigan to Ashley, this cute little town of Ashley. I'm going to go to the front. I've got to plug us in because my power's low. This cute little town of Ashley is um, hosting a, some vendors and it's very few but everybody gets off of the train. It's the steam engine from the Polar Express. It's the actual train that was used for the movie. And everybody wears pajamas, <laughs> like in the movie. And all the parents are wearing pajamas and the kids are wearing pajamas and they are 
um, they get off and they're in the mood to shop. It's Christmas time and um, it's just pretty awesome. They um, mostly, you know, I'm the only wool vendor and I appreciate that. Um, they, lots of, you know, cookies and cakes and pies and, and soaps. So here, I'm just plugging us in. No worries. Go. So if people wanted to be able to find you online, where would they find you? Thank you for asking. It is um, michiganmerinos.com. Or if you search happy goat, lucky you, E-W-E, it pop, Michigan Marinos pops up. And so both, the website hosts both. Now, and is it Michigan Marinos or happy goat, lucky you for social media? Happy goat, lucky you is social, very social media. Yeah, my Facebook page. Okay. Yeah. And are you on Instagram too? Um, I have an account, but I forget about that. <laughs> I can't remember all this stuff, you know. So people so, can still follow you that way, regardless. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I, I do post like every six weeks or something. I remember. I think something pops up and says, do you want this to go to Instagram? And I say, sure. And then it makes it on. But otherwise, I forget. It's not so. like you have anything else going on, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And now you said with the, there's how many ewes are you waiting to land still? I counted yesterday evening and I had two this morning. So uh, 12, so we had 13 yesterday. She had, um, she gave me lambs this morning. So we have 12 ewes waiting that are very obvious. So what happens with sheep is if they've been pregnant before their hormones kick in before they lamb. And so their udders develop and you know, they're and they're waddling and they, you know, they're very pregnant. The young ones can hide it and then suddenly he'll walk out and she's got a lamb and she's licked it off and everything and I love that when it happens but the young ones sometimes their milk doesn't come in right away and they don't even look pregnant until it happens so um was they were exposed oh sorry that's okay go ahead <laughs> I was just gonna say I was at a shearing at Lori's um recently and she, it was funny because I kept hearing her go, does that one look pregnant when he would shear it? And that explains so much because it was yeah, like, yeah. really? <laughs> but right. yeah, it's it, like, it's all that experience like that. And knowing that, you know, that it might, you might not know until then is just That's right. fascinating. <laughs> That's right. Especially when the marking harness doesn't do its job. So um, yeah, I had two already this year that gave me uh, just beautiful little single lambs and they're good little mamas and they were young and some people don't want to um, breed when they're young but um, another old farmer an old shepherd told me this and it makes sense is as they mature the cervix becomes more um, solidified and it's harder to push through so if you start young um, and this is a year and a half they're a year and a half if they're young and they have that first baby it's more pliable so it's, you know, and that's the, that's a shepherd's theory. I don't, I don't, I've never said that to a veterinarian or a person who's a researcher that studies it or knows, but it does make sense to me, especially since these young ones are able to do pretty well. Well, so. we'll just say that this statement was not evaluated by the, uh, whatever veterinary. Yes. I, yeah. <laughs> the, the, I could, I could be BSing you right now, but it was someone else who fed me that BS and it made sense. So, but hey, it does, you know, these cute doing little, well, so. yeah, they're doing well and it's not cruel and they're good young mamas. I'll get your nails out of me. So, um, 
Yeah, so I have 12 for sure that are big and waddly and maybe three that decided to have some, you know, hanky-panky and say hello to the studs and will surprise me. We'll see. I'm not, you know, if it happens, it happens. It, it wasn't intended, so yeah. Yeah, so we have three studs, we have 50 ewes and four goats and um, the starter packages, everything, you know, so when lambs are born, I always look at my, I keep good records. I keep track of my bloodlines and my mom's. And it's like, it's like this package deal that I'm the guy, gentleman from Missouri would like an older you with a lamb by her side. And if I can part with her because I've got her bloodlines on the farm, I'll do that. Sorry about the noise. No, that's fine. This is real life. And that's what we talk about is it's, you know, that's the way it is. So I, I guess I'm curious, um, is there anything else that you have in the works you want people to know about? Just know that's coming you know, up. Um, thank you. What, what, I, what is I'm working at, and it's, it's starting to work pretty well, is the starter flocks, people who buy sheep from me are welcome to join into the wool pool. And what we're doing is pooling our wool. So the more wool you have, the better your prices are or the lower your prices are for processing. So you can actually make a little money. It's not like you're getting rich, but you can make a little money. And so um, my starter flocks, the first, you, you know, the first year of the lambs, their wool is not long enough to be qualified for the, um, the wool pool. Um, but that's okay because it's perfect for inside of dryer balls. And that's the thing is that dryer balls will keep a farm in, you know, you can buy your hay by selling dryer balls. And, you know, lamb's wool is just ideal for that. And then the year after though, the year after you, you make sure that you're keeping your sheep out of burdock and out of too much junk and it can be pooled and, and we're gonna, we're making the hats, so. Yeah. So cool. And it's that whole passing on the knowledge and passing on the skill all over again. Exactly. Full circle, 100%. Right. And so instead of having 100 pounds made into hats, eventually with the wool pool and the number of farms that are producing merino, we can have 400 pounds made into hats. We can have 1,000 pounds made into hats. And then ideally, wouldn't it be great to see these hats on the slopes of all of the mountains, everybody's skiing in uh, US grown wool hats. Wouldn't that be awesome? So that's our goal. That's a great goal. That's a really cool thing. Thanks. And is the, <laughs> is the wool pool, is that something that you have that's part of your website or is it something that's just a you and this crew? It's me and it's, I don't even have it on the website. It's, um, it's, and when people discuss their um, starter flocks with me, I offer it. And so where can they find, are the hats on your website or other places that they can find those? Yeah, the hats are on my website and it's kind of, uh, the website is um, designed <laughs> to, you have to kind of search for what you want and it's really frustrating. I'm gonna have Mimi help me redesign that part of it because it's like, what color do you want? What style do you want? What this do you want? What that do you want? And then they, you get what you want. It says, sorry, we're sold out. <laughs> so I, we got we to gotta figure out a different way to do it because people are mad about it. Oh no. And they're such, yeah. like, they're such cute hats too. Like I really, Thank you. I am. 
I really want to get a couple for myself. So now I know to not feel discouraged if it tells me that they're not in. Right. I just, I just, whenever I have a chance to talk to somebody, I say, just call me. We'll, I'll go in the wool shop and we'll text back and forth the pictures and the colors. That's much easier than dealing with my website. So I really do have to fix my website. <laughs> but in the meantime, the sales are pretty good. And I, I have maybe 30 or 40 left that will get me into the fall. And I've got to get my wool design linger so I can get my next batch. Maybe. Yeah. How many do you usually get from a batch? Um, if I do 50 pounds, I can get about 150 hats. Wow. So you're really down to the bare bones until this fall. Yes. That's, yeah. I mean, that's great. <laughs> but it's if I run out, yeah, if I run out though, and you know, here's, I don't know if, what it is, is um, the, the starter flock part of the firm and the business is doing so well that I kind of shrug. If I run out of stuff to sell, then I just don't have to go to the market. <laughs> you know, I've got this kind of laissez-faire oh, attitude. Oh, stay home with the lambs. <laughs> That's right. Oh. Stay home and play. Yeah. So here's a question um, that I found interesting as we've been talking to people because most people have said that, and you know, I, I know that you have limited time today, so this is the last thing I'm going to ask you. But um, a lot of people have said that because <laughs> because of the pandemic that they have been able to slow down and try something new. Is there anything like that that you've been able to do? It's okay if the answer is no, we should have asked this ahead of time to you. Well, no, it's it's interesting you say that because what because of the pandemic is because other people have made some life decisions, I'm benefiting. They, my starter flocks were usually two a year and I only wanna sell five a year and I'm already three sold ahead of time before they're even born. Um, so people, last year was great. I had five flocks sold right away. People have been making decisions. Let's put it, they, they've been sitting on a decision and doing their um, research and thinking about it for, it takes a while. But they, last year, everybody just, boom. It's like, we're gonna do this. So, that so has it's been really been other people having more time that yeah. has allowed you to be more successful with this program, huh? Exactly. And, the, you know, the homesteading is everybody's had their gardens last year and people want to do things that yeah. are self-sufficient. And so that's really benefited our, our business really well. So and, and the desire to buy locally, you know, yeah. and to keep it here in this country. So it's finally caught on. Seems like there's finally a lot more understanding of supply chain than there has been in a long time. Yeah. This is so true. Very, very true. Yeah. And the delay. I mean, I had, I have a young um, couple. I don't know if they're married or they're partners, business partners. They introduced as partners, but they are um, making, they're getting into making sweaters and they came to the farm and they thought they could just you know, like make sweaters now and then have them ready next year. It's like, no, it takes two years to grow it and process it and get it ready for you. Oh yeah, absolutely. I know that I'm definitely, anything that I'm thinking about right now is either for 2022 or 2023. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that takes um, some planning, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> it takes a lot of planning and a lot of um, communication. Right. 
And, you know, it's, I love it though. The whole idea that um, I can take a breath instead of being rushed, rushed, rushed. I can say this is gonna, um, this is gonna be for 2022. Yep, so. All right. Thank you for asking. I think that's, yeah. I think that uh, that's, <laughs> I think that's, I'm all talked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today, Bridget. We You're welcome. Appreciate it and love about everything. So thanks. And I I can send you more pictures or videos if you need them. We love it. Yes. All okay. the all the all the content that we can put out there. Okay. <laughs> so. All right. Thanks so much, ladies. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Okay. Bye.